Welcome to episode 7 of the Hunting University Podcast, coming to you live from the Rocky Mountain Home Hunter Studios. Except not very live, because we really recorded this like a week and a half ago. Could be worse. We could be coming to you dead. How do you know we're not? Wishful thinking. (laughs) Wishful unthinking? Unwishful thinking. Wait, unwishful unthinking. Does she want us dead? I don't don't know where we're at. I'm I'm not going to ask that question. (laughs) You both should know better than to ask that question. She gets stabby. And I have a fork. I'm John Shelp. I'm Keone Hutton. And I'm Leslie Reed. Kate, can you tell us the difference between a whale shark and a megalodon? Yes, megalodons are extinct. Whale sharks still exist. The megalodon was about five times bigger than the whale shark, at, uh, based on present estimates. And uh, the whale shark wasn't actually, or excuse me, the megalodon wasn't actually a shark. Now, can you tell me, are whale sharks actually, do they actually feed like your normal great white shark would, or is it more plankton and things like that, like a, like a whale? I have no idea what a whale shark eats. Whale sharks are filter feeders, so definitely more like baleen whales. They filter small plankton and the like yeah, through plankton. their gills. Um, plankton, krill, small fish, etc. Uh, so no, they do not feed the way the great white great white shark does, which is why you can go swimming with them in places like there's an aquarium in Georgia. I think there's an aquarium in Georgia that allows you to go swimming with them. Excellent. Because they will not eat you. Well, I hope that answers your question, C Lover 29. Now that we've answered that question, we can move on to the Halloween portion of our show. For for those of us, or for those of you who may be wondering why we started off with that, we we did send out a request to send all your questions into the Twitter feed. Uh, we should have been more specific about the nature of the questions, but as you see, we will answer anything. To be fair, it may not always be right, but we'll answer it. It may not always be useful, but we'll answer it. You may get profanity back, but we'll, we'll answer, answer it. it. So thank you for that. That that made our day, truly. <laughs> so of our nine subscribers, how many do you think have stopped listening? All of them. Every okay. time. We lose all of them in the first minute. <laughs> That's about right. Which actually speaks much to their intelligence. <laughs> and much yeah. to ours as well. <laughs> yeah. That too. Do you want to go back no, no, I say let's just keep going. Roll with it. Okay. All right. So, Leslie, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I do believe we are discussing how sound can help build realism and entertainment in your haunt and, A, how to build that sound, what techniques and tools do you need to use, and the different ways that we can go about using them and creating a haunt and putting in sound. That was either like really profound or <laughs> no, that was really, really not dumb. Profound. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with not profound. My uh, ability to be profound this week has been uh, minimal at best. That's all right. So, John, what are we going to talk about today? Um, lighting and sound, if I recall correctly. Uh, get rid of the lighting part, and then I think you'll have it more accurate. Uh, sound, if I recall correctly. Yeah. What do you mean by sound, though? Um. Let's see. Do you want like a scientific definition? I can't give that to you. So, well, a scientific definition would be something along the lines of uh, the compressions of air molecules vibrating against your eardrum, which are then turned into electric impulses that are interpreted by your brain. 
Assuming everything's working properly. Indeed. That's more than I ever wanted to know about sound. <laughs> well, well, then you should probably leave now. Well, because we are going to be dwelling fairly deeply into how to use sound to your advantage in a home haunt. Is that as good as delving into it? I hope so. <laughs> no, well, today we're going to talk about the purpose, how you can use sound, how it can add to your haunt. Um, let's see, ways you can... You, Hunter's Toolbox? Really? Always. We've been adding to the Hunter's Toolbox, <laughs> like, frequently. Fair enough. Maybe this one, once. This one's you. Go yeah, ahead. I know. So maybe you should be asking me questions rather than me asking you questions. I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of funny listening to us try and answer sound. <laughs> All right, I'll let you take the lead then. Start asking me questions. Hmm? What was that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, Useful? if you're unfamiliar, is a sound. <laughs> so, Keone, what's the first thing when approaching a haunt? What do you need to know about sound and how do you want to look at it or hear about it. I would start looking at sound all the way from the beginning in your design phase. When you're starting to put together the haunts, you need to be uh, incorporating sound from the very beginning. The first question you want to ask yourself is, what are you trying to accomplish with these sound effects? Because there's a lot of different uh, sounds out there that you can use to your advantage. So <laughs> from a bottom line at a bare minimum, I always have some kind of atmospheric type sounds. We had talked about in an earlier episode how once you've set up the proper atmosphere in your haunt, scaring people is very easy. Is very easy. You want them in a certain mindset um, to make that scaring easier, and having just an atmospheric sound effect overlying the entire haunt can uh, help drive that mindset. Beyond that, you may be wanting to use sound effects to help advance your storyline. So, like, when we went to Arkham Asylum, we had uh, three different clips of the Joker quoting from... Uh, he was... What was that from, John? Uh, he's quoting... He's doing a monologue from a book called The Killing Joke. So when you find yourself locked onto an unpleasant train of thought, heading for the places in your past where the screaming is unbearable... Remember, there's always madness. Madness is the emergency exit. <laughs> right, the super creepy monologue that Joker was uh, monologuing. <laughs> you sly dog, you got me <laughs> monologuing. <laughs> so this creepy, the super creepy monologue that the Joker is saying really drove the story in our haunt and so i broke that monologue up into three different pieces we played the first part when our guests first entered the haunt we played the second part about halfway through the haunt we played the third part uh at the end of the haunt just before the final scare and so we used um this monologue to help drive our story along storyline along throughout the haunt and then another way you may want to use it is for character development so like uh, John, tell us about your character for Arkham Asylum. You mean the actual character I played or one we developed? No, well, the character you played. Uh, I played the, the Phantasm. It was kind of a black-robed, Grim Reaper-looking individual. Right, and what did we do to make it super creepy? I don't remember, no. Um, what uh, what did we do? There's... I, can't, I know there's something. I can't remember it now. Really? 
The fog? <laughs> okay, well, yes, there was definitely the fog, but I meant in terms of audio, because, you know, that's what our whole I said a creepy is. line. I can't, we did something, but tell me, I can't remember. You're right, you did like, say a creepy line, but uh, more, well, I put you on a microphone, added a little bit of reverb so that your, so that your creepy line was echoing throughout the entire corridor before they got to you. Do you want do you want to go back and say that in a better way? <laughs> Rather than I don't remember. Well, if you could say that instead of me saying it, then I could cut out all of this discussion and make it sound like you're that's, a genius. That's, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. Ask me again. <laughs> <laughs> so John, do you remember what we did with the phantasm in order to make him extra creepy? Um, I had a line called that was just your angel of death awaits, but rather than just you know, saying that to them, um, you put a we put a mic in my costume. I say we, but it was pretty much all you. But put a mic in my costume, so it added what you call reverb to it. So it kind of echoed out in kind of a ghostly, creepy voice instead of just you know a person saying it. So it kind of echoed around the the halls and went went a longer distance. So it was pretty spooky. Yeah, thank you, thank you for um, bringing in up that I call it reverb. It's not like it's a standard term or anything. Uh, yes. Uh, as far as the standard terms, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, that's fair. And that's one of the things that uh, we want to talk about today to help uh, as people are doing research into their own equipment um, to help clarify some items for them. So let's jump right in. Uh, we've already talked about purpose a little bit um, to help bring atmosphere, to help develop your story and develop your characters. So how are we going to accomplish this? And this is something to keep in mind, even if you are not an expert in setting up or running sound systems, um, the basic tools that you need and the basic skills that you need to be able to have are relatively easy to pick up and run with, and you can still put on a successful haunt, even if you're not a professional sound engineer. Very much so. We'll talk about a couple of methods to do that. Hopefully the diagrams we'll have up on the website will help. Speaking of which, John, where is our website? <laughs> mm. <laughs> no, we'll that was a plug-in early. That was very professional. Thank you. Uh, you can fo- you can go to Twitter and follow us at Haunting Univer One. That's Haunting U N I V E R One. Uh, that's our Twitter handle. You can also follow us on Facebook. Okay, what's the Facebook? Uh, Facebook. That's Facebook.com/slash Haunting U. Just the letter U. I like it. Do you, Do you want to get in another question while we're taking a short break? May as well. So again, apologies. I'm I'm on our Twitter feed now. So this question appears to be directed uh, to Leslie. All right. Uh, all right. So this is from Produce Lover sixty one. Very strange. So when you're selecting, when you have a group of avocados, what makes you select the? How do you select the best one? So in general, and again, we will answer any question. Um, avocado selection is. <laughs> we might need to if I'm going to be asked about avocados. Uh, Generally speaking, you want to look for a couple of things. You want to look for a fruit that is firm but has a little bit of give to it, so not hard like a baseball, but also not squishy. Um, Squishy is bad. You also want to look for something that's even in color um, and is kind of a darker green. Um, Avocados are such that they do not ripen until they are picked from the tree, and so they are picked very, very green, and then they will gradually ripen. If you do get an avocado that is not ripe enough and you'd like to ripen it faster, put it in a paper bag with a banana. Wow, actually, I did not know that. Oh, with a banana. 
Uh, bananas produce a lot of ethylene gas, and ethylene gas is one of the um, substances that helps fruits uh, ripen quickly. It's also, if you leave it in there too long, it will go bad very, very quickly as well. And bananas produce a significant amount of ethylene gas. Wow. I should learn something from that. <laughs> Did not expect that. <laughs> you asked. Yeah, rather, yeah. Produce Lover 61 asked. So and, there you and go. There you have it. Haunting you. That's a very, Come for the like. audio, stay for the avocados. Yeah, oh, I'm quite done. I figured you were talking a lot, so I'd give you a minute to catch your breath. Yeah, I actually ran off to use the bathroom, fill up my glass of water. It was very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And we um, learned about avocados. You better be careful, though. I'm running out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Noted. One of the first decisions you're going to need to make in regards to sound when designing your haunt is how you want to control your audio. There are two major trains of thoughts that I use, uh, I love, and I've advocated for in the past. One is centralized control, and the other is dispersed control. In a centralized control method, all of your sound is sourced from a central location to speakers that you have spread throughout your haunt. There are a number of advantages to this. Uh, it gives you a lot of control. Because all of your sources are right there in the same location, you can change anything on the fly as the night is progressing, and it tends to be higher sound quality than in a dispersed control situation. Not necessarily, but as a generalization, it tends to be. The disadvantage to this, though, is that it tends to be more expensive, and you're going to need more expensive equipment in order to pull it off because everything is in the same location and uh, you're trying to get the sound out. In a dispersed control situation, however, all of your sources are located right there with the speakers. So you're eliminating all of your long wire runs, which means you need less equipment to pull it off. And because of that, it tends to be less expensive. The disadvantage there, though, is it has to be set up ahead of time. It's more of a set it and forget it. Before the haunt opens, you're starting all of your dispersed control audio effects and then leaving it for the entire night. Uh, so it needs to be robust and long enough to cover the entire night without anybody coming back to work on it. So that makes it harder to change on the fly. In fact, it makes it almost impossible to change on the fly. Um, and you need more equipment, but you need more cheap equipment than you do in a, um, a centralized control situation because you need a separate source and a separate speaker for every location. Whereas in centralized control, you can use the same source in multiple locations. So let's talk some more about centralized control. Um, you'll need four major pieces of equipment in order to pull it off. You need some kind of source. You need an amplifier, which is going to uh, pump up the power from your source so that it can make it all the way out to the speakers. You need the speakers themselves, and then you need some kind of distribution method. Um, in, Pro in ProSound, they use a soundboard uh, or an audio board to distribute, but there are a couple other ways to do it as well. So let's talk sources first. There are a number of different sources that you could use depending on what you have and what you're budgeted for. Um, CD players, MP3 players, your computer, any of these things can serve as sources and can be wired into, um, into a system. Amplifiers are a little more difficult. This is a very specialized piece of equipment and one way or another you're going to have to find some sort of audio amplifier. I absolutely adore, I'm jumping ahead because I really wanted to talk about this when we started talking about ways to save money, but I... Damn, uh, I was going to do that. <laughs> yeah, right? I absolutely adore... Uh, Radio Shack used to carry a PA amplifier for about $60. They don't anymore, but that means that you can find them at estate sales and Goodwill all over the place. You have to be patient because they don't pop up that often, but every time they do, I grab them because they're just absolutely fantastic little amplifiers. 
Then there are speakers. Speakers are an easy one. Everybody knows what a speaker is because we deal with them all the time. As long as your speaker is rated for the amount of power that your amplifier is putting out, you can use just about any kind of speaker to work with your haunt. That's another reason I really like the PA amplifiers because they're only rated for like 40 watts and there's a lot of speakers that can uh, easily handle 40 watts. That's 40 watts total, not 40 watts per channel or per speaker for the record. Wait, you're saying that for the podcast or you're just telling me? Uh, for the podcast, but oh, you know, telling you as well. Excellent. So from the amplifier, you're going to need a long wire run to go out to the speakers. Typically, uh, the wire you're going to want to use is, well, you can use a variety of types of wires. I really like lamp wire because it has two conductors, each individually insulated but connected together, so it makes it very easy to do those long runs. Very important, though, as you're hooking up your amplifiers and your speakers, that you're paying attention to the polarity of the wire. Okay, what do you mean by polarity? Thanks. Great question, John. You need to make sure the same wire is going from the same terminal to the same terminal for your speaker. The polarity is one of the real advantages to using the lamp wire because typically um, you have two different types of conductor. One's copper and one is aluminum, so it makes it very easy to uh, keep the polarity straight. Keep your polarity straight. Thank you. So actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because we actually have a relevant question. My God. All right. So let's see here. We have this one from a gentleman named Jake O'Lantern. That's got to be made up. I don't know if that's clever or not, but we'll, we'll go with it. Um, no, that's got to right. be made up. That's not real. Well, it's Twitter. Nothing's real. But anyway, so what does it, he writes, or, well, it's Jake. He writes, what does it mean on the back of the speaker when it has a number and the Greek letter omega? Well, Jake, I do not know. But I'm sure our friend here can help. Well, thank you, John, for that brilliant and subtle segue. Um, so that's on the right. back of the speaker, you'll almost always have two terminals. They'll be color-coded red and black uh, for your positive and your negative, for your uh, your source and your ground. There are a number of names for it, but they all mean the same thing. In short, you want to make sure the red on your amplifier is going to the red on your speaker, the black on your amplifier is going to the black on your speaker. What our friend Jake O'Lantern is talking about is the impedance of the speaker. So for those of you who are at least vaguely familiar with electricity, particularly DC electricity, uh, you have a term called resistance. And resistance is how much the electrical circuit is preventing the flow of electrical current. Well, on the AC side, you don't have just straight resistance because you have um, other components which react with the AC (laughs) frequency. And so uh, we talk about it in terms of impedance instead of resistance. Again, to someone uneducated like me, so what, what does that mean when you're setting up your speaker? How does that help? You want to make sure you are matching the impedance of your amplifier with your speaker because that will give you the greatest power transfer between the speaker and the amplifier. So, okay, you're sorry again because I'm uneducated in this and some of our listeners may be a little bit uh, with me on that front. So, again, so what does that mean as far as when you're setting up your speaker? How does that help? Thank you for regrounding me, John, because I can easily go off and talk about electrical theory for uh, hours and hours. Funny, uh, funny. Uh, 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 uh. See how I slipped that in there? I did. We're very subtle. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so you want to, you need to make sure that you are matching the impedance of your speaker with the impedance on your amplifier. Most speakers will have either a four, a six, an eight uh, ohm. That's what the Greek letter stands for, symbol for resistance or impedance. Um, four, six, or eight ohm speaker. 
And so on the back of your amplifier, you need to be making sure that you're using the 4, the 6, the 8 ohm terminals uh, from the amplifier. Or you want to make sure the impedance is matched because that will ensure you have um, the maximum amount of power transferring from the amplifier to the speaker, which means you'll have higher volume, uh, or in, in many cases, the proper volume and the proper quality uh, coming out of the speaker. If you don't match the impedance, you're going to lose some of that power, um, and then your sound may end up garbled, or uh, you may have it turned up all the way, and it's still not as loud as you need it. I like that. I can see where that would become useful. So, Kay, we've talked about sources and amplifiers, speakers, but how do you make the right sounds go to the right speakers? Well, Les, this is where the distribution method becomes so important. Um, I talked to, I said already that in ProSound, we use a soundboard to... Um, distribute. The advantages of a soundboard is that you can you just plug all your sources in. Uh, like the soundboard that I used on Arkham had uh, 12 inputs. So I could have 12 different sources coming into the soundboard and then I could send each of those tw any of those 12 sources out to any, uh, any of four outputs. Each of those outputs individually runs to an amplifier and then the amplifier is directly connected to the speaker so the soundboard is what gives me the control to send any of those inputs to any of those outputs you don't need a soundboard to do that though um, you can do the exact same thing uh, by just connecting your source directly to the amplifier and sending it out that gives you a little bit less control because I can't send that source to any of the others but it means I don't have to spend the money on a soundboard either which Alrighty. is nice, especially if you're doing this on a budget. Ah, but if you find the right estate sale, you may be able to get one within your budget. You're doing the eyebrow thing, aren't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the next big thing would be to talk about finding sounds, building sounds, and um, mapping sounds to your story. Yes, let's talk about that. I love it. I like it. So, you've built your sound system. <laughs> You like it, whether you've chosen to do the dispersed or the centralized uh, control. What do you do now? Well, now you need to have sounds to run through your lovely sound system. So where do you go to find those? How do you build them? What do you do next? Well, I think a great place to start is Google. But Kay, isn't that illegal? Not necessarily. Because mm. I remember when we started doing this, I was concerned that a lot of the information or those sounds might be copyright excuse me copyrighted is there a way you can find ones that are cheap or that don't require payment or yes yes you can and the easiest way is to just google something like free sound effects uh if you give me a moment i'm trying to find my sound effects guy you have a sound effects guy don't you uh yes you you, you don't <laughs> you are our sound effects guy let's be honest You're here. Our sound effects guy fair point Aha, okay. There are two sources that I really like and I use for most of the sound effects like on our podcast. Uh, one is soundbible.com uh, and the other is purple-planet.com. Uh, if you go to purpleplanet.com, you'll get a completely unrelated site that has nothing to do with audio, uh, purple-planet.com. Purple Planet specializes in royalty-free music and everything on their site is under a Creative Commons attribution license. That means anyone can use it for any purpose so long as you properly attribute it to the person who recorded it. And so when you go on our Facebook page and you look for and you look at the uh, the notes for each of our episodes, you'll see that's where we're 
attributing uh, all the music that we're using from Purple Planet. <laughs> Similarly, with the clips on Sound Bible, you need to look and see how the sound or what license the sound is published under. And as long as it has some sort of uh, Creative Commons attribution or public domain license, then very similarly, you can use it for any purpose so long as you properly attribute it. Another important thing to remember about sound. If you are recording sounds and you do not want to go to either Purple Planet or Sound Bible to get your sounds, uh, do make sure that you're in a place that you know you can control the external sounds around. Otherwise, you know you end up with people eating chips. What a great idea, <laughs> Les. That's a fantastic place to uh, get sounds. There's no reason you can't record your own sound effects. Mm -hmm. um, I use uh, a piece of software called Audacity, A-U-D-A-C-I-T-Y. I assume that it's short for Audio City. I could be wrong, but there's my assumption, Audacity. Um, it's a free, and I mean completely free, piece of audio recording software that is so powerful, it's not even funny. It's what I use for all of my audio editing, including for this podcast. There are others out there, but that's the one that I love. Are we getting paid by Audacity, Purple Planet, or Sound Bible? Uh, since Purple Planet and Sound Bible are both nonprofits, I doubt it. Damn it. Besides, they give us all kinds of sound effects for free. Who can, I mean... The least we can do We're is say, hey, the least we can do is exactly. Here's places that you can go to get these things. Go use them because they are good places to go and get sounds. And again, if you don't want to go there or the sound that you're looking for isn't there, um, there's actually an entire profession built around um, creating your own sounds. Um, folly artists, which do they do sound effects for movies. They will build and create specific sounds. Um, that a director will call for. Um, and when you're a haunt, when you're doing a haunted house, you are essentially the director. You're the producer. You decide what sounds you need, and if you can't find the right one, then go build it. Just Google folly artists and start reading about some of the things that they use and some of the ways and techniques that they have to create sounds. Folly artists uh, used to be what you would use when you know, even in you know, once we moved out of the silent film era into actually. <laughs> talkies um folly artists were what they went to to create all these sound effects before we had built up these databases so you can absolutely make your own sounds and if something's not what you want build it figure it out um try new things and see what works i like it nice nice the thing you can do is you can if you're someone like me i mean you can just find someone who's just more ver way more versed in it than you and partner with them that's that's a definitely a strategy that I advocate for. Uh, one of the reasons I think John and I have been so successful over the years is because we have completely different skill sets. So we're each bringing something to the table. It's funny for skill sets. It's better if it's diversified a little bit. Agreed. Because I have no technical knowledge of really any kind. Don't I know it? Don't I know it? I I hold things. <laughs> On that note, uh, Kale was out here for Thanksgiving, and he helped me set up Christmas lights, and he proved himself mm -hmm. uh, he can actually use a drill without hurting himself. So he's like, in fairness, one you've, step you've ahead never of you. given me the chance to use the drill, so <laughs> we don't even know. That's called self-preservation for everybody, might, including you. I might be a master driller. Who knows? I'm, I'm not, though. I'm, I'm not. I'll have to ask your wife. At all. Right, so where are we going now? <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> Good at those. You can use those in your haunt. Awkward silences. Actually, silence is a very, very powerful tool. I prefer, um, in my haunts, I prefer eerie over awkward, but you know. 
Well, but silence itself is a sound, and you can use it um, depending on how large your haunt is or or when you want to build up to something. Um, sometimes silence is your best tool. That's actually a really interesting point. If you want to really unnerve someone, put them in a blank room or a a black a dark room with uh, sound insulation on the walls, so it's so quiet that they can actually like hear their own heartbeat. You want to unnerve a person, that will do it. That would do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's actually been a couple of TV series and movies that'll use silence um, as effectively as sound. And I think that's one thing, too, when you're creating the effects and you're going over, like, the... You're just going over everything in your head. You can't... You can abuse it. You can do it too much. That's a really great point, John. I tend to use uh, a single audio track, you know, just generic screams and thunder and lightning, because and, lightning has a sound, and um, howling, uh, just real generic scary sounds uh, for that atmosphere to get people in the right mindset to get scared, and that will cover the entire haunt. But beyond that, I'm using other sound effects either for advancing the storyline or for um, developing your character in a very narrow area. Uh, For example, when a person first walked in, one of the effects we had was a um, an electric panel that was arcing and sparking. Really, you know, it was a startle. I loved it. It was a startle effect. Wasn't it set up like a motion detector? But it was just right there in that first corner. And so the audio or the sound from that stayed in that one little corner um, and even into the outside so that other people could increase their anxiety as well. But it was a very narrowly defined sound. It was on for four or five seconds and then done. Nothing in silence except for the atmosphere. So people weren't getting overwhelmed by, they weren't having their senses overwhelmed by an excess of sound. Right, which is important. And that's also something to keep in mind when you're advertising. If you are using large amounts of sound, loud volumes, or um, very, very sudden sounds that start and stop, uh, you might just want to note that in your advertising because there are people who are very, very sound sensitive, and while they might want to come to your haunt because they think it's a great idea, giving them a heads up that there might be some sounds that could affect them in a stronger way than they might be expecting is a nice way of of, of handling your guests and handling um, the people who come visit and knowing that you're aware that these things can be terrifying um, and can negatively affect people. Yeah, right. I think we put a warning on our uh, on the haunt rules uh, that was talking about how we use strobe lights and uh, right. uh, loud sound effects and uh, what was the other? Oh, fog, of course. Just to give just so people know what they're getting into. I guess having a seizure really disrupts the flow of things. That's a fact. Among other things. And makes it really important to have those emergency exits that we talked about before. (laughs) And to know where your sounds are, where your lights are, and be able to control it. And if you need to shut everything off immediately, you know exactly where to go and you can shut down your haunt in case of an emergency within 30 seconds. Centralized control. Cough, cough, cough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and especially, obviously it depends on how you're creating your haunt. But, like, let's say, for example, on ours, we had several sections where the actors were going to interact with the guests. You don't want thunderstorms or monster sounds or anything like that blaring over that area so that they can, you know, barely hear or anything like that. It takes away from it. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons uh, why I really, why I tried my hardest to find a soundboard for cheap, uh, because that gave me the control that I wanted 
to be able to turn down even the atmospheric effects, you know, the haunt was broken up into, a, I think, five or six zones of speakers. And so I could turn down the atmospheric effect in zone two, where the phantasm is going to be. And I could turn it up in zone three, where we have nothing but static props. Right. And the other thing to do, you know, as you were talking about, you know, how do, how does, how do the sounds affect your actors um, and your scare actors? What sounds do they want to bring to the party? Um, when I was doing Harley in the yard, um, you know, we had guests running by through where there's plywood between us, but they were running down into the the dead end with the Joker. Um, so I had a lot of fun adding extra sounds um, as they were running down. So I would hit the wall with my bat. I had really, really long nails for that um, those two nights. So I would be tapping along the plywood uh, just to, again, give it, extra sounds. So work with your scare actors. What sounds can they bring um, to your haunt to help build either their characters or um, build to the haunt around them? Absolutely. It shows that if you're efficient, if you're creative, you can use the sounds to build your character development into your story. Yeah, exactly. What haven't we touched on? Uh, how to save money. Do you want to, do And disperse want... control. Do you want to keep going off off the thought we were having, or do you want to? What do you want to do? So no, I think the I think the conversation we just had is going to end up at the end. Okay. What were you going to say, Les? So one thing you know we can as as we're discussing scare actors though, we can also discuss scare actors and dispersed control. If you do have um, your equipment kind of spread out, make sure your scare actor in that area is at least comfortable enough to unplug it or plug it back in. <laughs> Um, so, again, your actors don't just have to be actors. They can also be helping with the production side of things. I highly recommend that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point that um, we, we certainly don't cover enough. Especially if you... I'm trying to think of a good way to say it. If you have a... I mean, if you have a limited crew of people, it's extremely beneficial if you can have one... Who does scare acting, or who, but can also, when it's not busy, work the controls for the other portion, or you know, just some sort of multitasking. It it would be more efficient that way. Yeah, and other time, I mean, when we did uh, Zombie Apocalypse, we actually didn't use you, John, as a scare actor at all. We put you just behind the scenes, and you were running special effects and audio from um, behind the scenes. I'm not very scary. I think that was a wise decision. Eh, you have your moments. Yeah. As long as the Grim Reaper's not wearing tennis shoes. <laughs> that was one time, and she did not have to point that out. <laughs> Clearly she did, otherwise she wouldn't have. For complete details on that incident, check out episode one. <laughs> okay, you remember so, the time you, like, bashed your face in with your own hammer? Okay, I just had to mention My that. hammer. Technically, it was Harley's hammer. My hammer. For more details on that, see episodes one, two, three, and four. <laughs> and now seven. And now seven. <laughs> so, John, how do you save money as you're trying to assemble your audio system? I recommend theft. <laughs> so, Leslie, how do you save money when trying to put together your audio system? I don't recommend theft because of the likelihood that you will then no longer be able to put on a haunt. And jail is much scarier than a haunt. So, being, saving being, money. Yeah. I'm being informed um, for legal reasons. I should advocate. I, I do not encourage theft. No, we here at Haunting You do not advocate theft. What we do advocate 
is going to estate sales, as has been discussed multiple times here, you can find a lot of an enormous variety of um, equipment for very, very cheap. Um, Other places that you can go, Goodwill, um, call around, go call up your, your kooky uncle who, you know, may or may not have piles and piles of cords running around his basement that you could use. And if not, well, they become, you know, great props anyway. Um, you could even did- use one of your kooky uncles as a great prop. <laughs> Knowing my kooky uncles, no comment. Hi, Uncle Doug. I thought you were going to take that in another direction, so okay. Nope, nope, just gonna, nope. I'm just going to let nope. it drop. Nope, that's um, good. <laughs> so stuff that I'm always looking for at Goodwill, uh, I already talked about the Radio Shack's uh, PA amp, PA's public address system, by the way. Um, every time I see one of those, I pick it up. Goodwill's a great place to pick up cables for cheap. I have stopped buying like HDMI and RCA, and uh, every time I have to change around something on my on anything, anytime I need a new cable, I go to Goodwill because it's so much cheaper than say Best Buy. Uh, particularly for disperse control, old computer speakers that have a volume control, if it has a volume control, that means it has an amplifier built in. So you don't need a separate amplifier. Um, it's already in the speaker. So I love those old computer speakers. Um, and Portable CD players, you know, battery-operated CD players. I will burn uh, sound effects onto a CD, put it in a portable CD player, push play, and push... uh, What's that called? Loop. What's the looping thing called? Repeat? Repeat! Wow, that was quite the blonde moment. That is our sound expert. I'm no longer blonde, by the way. (laughs) That is our sound expert who referred to it as a loopy thing. And there goes all my credibility down the drain. <laughs> just, just cut that out. Just cut, cut that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I'll take a portable. I'll take a portable CD player, burn a CDR with uh, a minute or two of sound effects on it, um, and then you just push play and push repeat on the CD player and let it play all night long. Do you mean like the actual song all night long, or what do you what do you mean? I mean, I get it depends on what kind of haunt you're running, but I, that that could be terrifying too, to the right person. Yeah, probably not most of them. I think most of them. You should probably cut that bit with Lionel Richie out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Can we get the rights to that song? <laughs> probably not. As long as we keep it under thirty seconds, we're fine. Oh, well, there you go. Well, let's talk about dispersed control real quick because I'm pretty sure this is only going to take me about a minute and a half because we've really covered it sort of already. So. When you're talking about dispersed control, your source is right there with the speakers. So this is the place where I'm going to use those old computer speakers from Goodwill with a portable CD player. Like we talked about in an earlier episode uh, where one of our scare actors was just really interfering with the operation of the haunt, and we ended up nailing him into a coffin. <laughs> That's not hyperbole. We He was nailed into a coffin, literally. Yeah. I'm, I admit I'm not totally proud of that, but it ended up working. Uh, just having a person inside the coffin screaming turned out to be a really awesome effect. I'm pretty proud of it. I Fair enough. <laughs> but the next year, I used a dispersed control method, um, took a CD player, took a cheap pair of speakers, put it inside the coffin, and I had screaming coming from inside the coffin without having to waste a whole scare actor to do so. 
Uh, that's a great spot to use a dispersed control method. I mean, and it should be also noted he was let out of the coffin at. at we did indeed let him out at the end we of should, the night. We should we should throw that out there. That that's true. Or actually, and I mean that's not actually a terrible thing. I mean, this goes on to that we did an entire episode on scare acting, but um, if for whatever reason, as you know, if it's your haunt, you're technically a member of management, and if you're having attitude issues with a scare actor, you can certainly nail them in a coffin. It works great for everyone, really. Just remember to let them out and make sure that, that there are air key. holes in the coffin. That is key. Rocky Mountain Home Haunters does not advocate nailing your actors into coffins. We just said we did it. We just said we did it. On that note. As we wrap up our seventh po- our episode seven podcast on sound design and sound effects for your home haunt, I do want to make note that uh, two-thirds of our happy crew will be in Portland in a couple of weeks attending the West Coast, West Coast Hunters Convention. Um, we will be walking around. I do believe we have T-shirts. And looking forward to seeing you all there and talking to you, everybody, answering questions um, and enjoying the convention. A few lucky people will even make it onto the podcast, so we're looking forward to that. At least... You said two-thirds of you were happy. The third of us is not happy, but... Right. What dates... What dates... What dates? Uh, April 13th through the 15th. All right. Anything else? As always, send your questions to our Twitter or our Facebook, and we will answer them here. I think that's all we have for today's show. Uh, So our Twitter... uh, You can find us on Twitter at HauntingUniver1. That is haunting U-N-I-V-E-R-1. And Kay, what about Facebook? Yeah, definitely check out our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash HauntingU, just the letter U. Uh, That's where you'll find uh, we'll be posting articles and um, all kinds of uh, more detailed information about the, uh, the audio topics we talked about today. Also, you can find our podcast in a couple of places. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Yeah, make sure you check out our new site on Podbean. Uh, that's hauntingyou.podbean.com. Uh, this is where we'll be hosting our uh, all of our episodes for the near future. You can find all of them on there. It's great. All right, I think that about does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I'm John Shell. I'm Keone Hutton. I'm Leslie Reed. Thanks for joining us, and happy haunting. Bye, everyone. Haunting You is a production of Rocky Mountain Home Haunters, LLC. All audio clips and sound effects are used under a Creative Commons attribution or public domain license from Purple Planet Music at www.purple-planet.com or the Sound Bible at www.soundbible.com. Please see our Facebook page for more details on the clips used in this episode. Haunting University can be reached via Facebook at www.facebook.com slash hauntingu with the letter U or on Twitter using the handle at hauntinguniver1 that's H-A-U-N-T I-N-G-U-N-I-V-E-R-1.